This is Pound in Victory. So, it's Sunday. We had church today. Yes. Yeah. How was that? Church was fine. It was fine? Don't you dare say fine. I can't believe you just said fine to me. Oh, well, man. You know how I hate that word. Well, that's why I said it. But <laughs> Church was fine. Ugh. Actually, it was excellent. It was really good. I thought so, too. Yeah. There was a lot of people involved. Yeah. So we had four people speaking today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As normal. Yeah. So That was pretty funny. There was somebody for everybody. <laughs> a little something for everybody. Yeah. It worked out well. And uh Do you have donuts at church? Never. I I can't imagine you doing it. No. I um I get myself prepared for it before I get there. I drink a protein shake and Yeah. And I'm good for morning. So Do you, Ma? What? Do you have a donut at church? Yeah. People love donuts at church. Oh yes, yes. People love donuts after church. Have you ever seen that? Sometimes there's leftover donuts and people like race out there to get one. They also take the leftover bananas. Yeah, a lot of people have purses. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they do. (laughs) Yep. There's always more room in a purse. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Um, at least nothing's going to waste. That's the main thing. Yeah. But I did watch somebody one day take one of those big long johns, split it, and throw the banana in. So they had a banana split or something. Did they really? Yeah. Like a sandwich? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. They seemed to like it. You know what? I could imagine that if it was like a Bavarian cream, like with chocolate on top. I could get on board with that. Yeah, that's what they did. But, I mean, we hope that they come for... You know, a spiritual feed too. You know, so that they can eat that way. Yeah, and uh, that's really the goal. Not have them come just for the donuts because they're really good. Yeah. Sometimes that's how you get them in the door. They yeah. come for the donuts, but they end up staying for yeah. Jesus. Yeah, nobody wants to look directly rude. <laughs> yeah, they don't <laughs> come for people... breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> We've had a couple of people do that. Yeah, yeah, we have. We have had people come in and they like talk with everybody, shake hands, you know, kiss babies, eat a donut, have a coffee, and they're like, "Well, I gotta head out." We're not gonna talk names right now. No, we're not. We're, but you know who you are. (laughs) Yeah, that's always so funny to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. They call it guts or what? (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty gutsy. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they must have been hungry. Did you so, grow up eating donuts? Um, no, no. You know, there's certain foods that I grew up and never had until I was quite far in life. Really? Yeah. Well, your mother was a heck of a cook. Yes, she was. Yeah. Yeah, a wonderful cook. But uh, no donuts, no. No. Well, we, we survived on pie. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Which she handed down to, to mom. Yeah, yeah. The gift of pie. Right. So, that never ended. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Is it pretty much the same? Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, there's, and, uh, you know, when I met her, my wife, I'm talking about, and uh, we got married, I I wore a pants with a 28 wa waist, and I had a, a 46 chest, and, uh, you know, I kept those pants for years, <laughs> thinking, thinking you were one gonna day get back into I'm going to get back into them. <laughs> And uh, that never happened. Yeah. After after ten years, I threw them away. But yeah, pies are good. Yeah, they mm -hmm. are. Well, maybe we should let people know where did you grow up. I grew Since up we're talking about your family and in a family of um, seven kids and my mother and dad there. Where do you fall in the lineup? I had two older brothers, and then the other siblings were all younger than me. Okay, so you're third. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, uh... A classic middle child. Yeah, somewhat. We fought over that position, two of us. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knew which way to look at that. Yeah. But anyway, there was seven children. And, you know, I don't feel I'm old, uh, but at the same time, I was... The older I get, the younger I think you are. <laughs> well, you know, when I, when I was uh, brought into this world, mm -hmm. my uh, parents, they um, they met when my dad come back from World War II. Mm -hmm. And he stopped in Milwaukee to visit his brother because he had gotten out first and he was already married. And they were living in Milwaukee, so my dad stopped there to visit. And... His brother's wife's best friend was my mother. Hmm. And my dad seen her, met her. Then he came back up to this area in the Eau Claire area and then went back down to court her, and they ended up getting married. And he moved her up here, which was uh, quite interesting because you're born and raised in Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee. And then somebody comes and marries you and moves which you. Which is the largest city in Wisconsin. Yes. Yeah. And then he moves her to what's known as a boot lake area. It's <laughs> it's not even a township. <laughs> no. And it's way out in the woods. And they had a log cabin with two rooms. And, of course, there was no electricity and no plumbing there. Mm -hmm. And that's where they began their marriage. So they moved up to boot lake which, which that's what it's called. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a little tiny lake there with a log cabin and uh, two rooms. That's all it was. And that's where they began the family. So by the time I was uh, about to begin the first grade, mm -hmm. my dad decided to take a road trip. So he loaded the five kids they had in a, an old car. Mm-hmm and took off for California, wow. which was an interesting thing for me. I was, you know, I took in a lot, even as a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, we just drove and drove and then sightseeing, and when they uh, got to a place where they had to eat, they'd pull over and a roadside somewhere, build a fire, and take out a cast iron fire frying pan and, and cook dinner fried potatoes and burgers or whatever they may do mm -hmm. and that's how we traveled all the way to california wow and my dad had stopped and worked two days here two days there you know on farms and things like that and 
we made our way out to California, and they went to Riverside. And did you guys just stay like in the car? Yeah. Oh, okay. Most of the time. Yeah. It looked like gypsies. Yeah. And that type of thing. It was a sound family, you know. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't have the uh, financial backing to probably travel like most people. Right. So they made the best of it. And we got out to Riverside, California, and that's where my dad decided to stay for a year. So I started school out there, and uh, it was easy because they in California they only had a half days for first graders. Oh really? Yeah. So I, I uh, kind of enjoyed that, hmm. and we lived on the, uh, <laughs> the edge of a pomegranate plantation. Oh really? Well, yeah, which was very hard on my mother because she was constantly trying to wash clothes because we oh, get pomegranate yeah. juice all over us. You know? Those are hard to open. I never don't recall it being hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I certainly enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. But we lived there for a year. And when that year was up, my dad decided to work his way back. And he headed south first, and then he come across the southern states until he got straight down south of Wisconsin and then made his way back up. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time we got back the next year, when I went into school... That was a very different experience because mm-hmm. uh, the teachers took it upon themselves to fail me because I didn't have enough first grade. Oh. <laughs> and they put me back a year. Then, you know, we uh, got back and they bought a different house. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't very far from the one we lived in when we left. But Well, by the way, your family, some of the founding, like the founding fathers of our area in Wisconsin, like the people that settled it are your ancestors yes yeah Yeah. like people a lot of people have heard of dan mccann he's Mm -hmm. the one that gave old abe the eagle to the troops yeah and that's your great grandfather yeah so like this area was basically settled by your ancestors Mm -hmm. so you had roots here your your parents just went out to california for a while but there was a lot here already. Like you had a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles and everything in this area. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. Especially on my uh, dad's side. Yeah. And my mother's family was. Their roots uh, were in Milwaukee. Exactly. Yeah. But then we got back up here and they uh, bought another house and then it was uh, real small and it had a small living room and a small kitchen and two bedrooms. And that's all there was. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. Si- you didn't mention bathroom. No, it didn't have one. Mm-hmm. And we still had to use an old house. Yeah. And I find it kind of remarkable because, you know, in uh, 2023 with all the technology and everything that's around, I, at my age, <laughs> I find it kind of interesting because I lived in both worlds. Yeah. When a lot did. of people didn't have so anything. So did mom, too, right? Carlos grew up without indoor plumbing. Well, you know. So it, he's experienced both. both that's plans. not, it's not as bad as you would think, you know, when you grow up in it. Right. You know, it's you get it. Because what you're used to. You, of course. You're accustomed to it. And, uh, you know, I mean, my dad was, uh, with that many kids, he built an outhouse with two seats. You know, did he? Yeah. yeah because, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes you'd go out and and 
Were they side by side or back to back? Side to side. You know, you could sit and visit, you know. <laughs> you know, I was, this reminds me. I was working in um, <laughs> a certain department, and one of the surgeons was talking to me one day. And he, well, I walked up, and there was a conversation happening. And then he showed me. He had a picture of his two boys. And, of course, they have a big, beautiful house with, like, five bathrooms. But one was sitting on the toilet holding the iPad. And the other one was sitting on the counter. <laughs> and he said, how good does the show have to be? <laughs> that one one was pooping, and the other one is sitting on the counter next to him just to watch the same show on the iPad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a good one. <laughs> but you guys didn't have iPads. <laughs> no. But, you know, the only drawback to something like that is, you know, in the winter. You know, yeah. Because we have some pretty harsh winters in Wisconsin. Yeah. And, you know, when it's... 40, 50 below with a wind chill, you Blustery. know. You have to go out there, you know. But right. that's where you thank God for Sears and Roebuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because <laughs> they'd pick up big catalogs, you know, and you could sit there and look at them out there, and you know, pages you already looked at, you build a fire downside, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you warm the building up. Yeah. And uh, we never had one burned down, thank God, but you know, <laughs> we did. we did manage to heat the place yeah mm -hmm. wow yeah but so. did you did you feel like when you were i mean you grew up like like huckleberry finn <laughs> basically yeah, somewhat somewhat and did you feel that way when you were a kid did you feel like you were in this because when you describe it it's like oh my gosh you had seven kids in a two-bedroom house with no indoor plumbing right did you feel like you were seven kids in a two-bedroom house with no indoor plumbing? Actually, um, you know, and it wasn't until later, you know, like when I, you know, when I got out of the military myself, you know, that yeah. I listened to my brothers talk, the two older brothers. Yeah. And I always looked at them like, I thought we lived in the same home, you know. Right. <laughs> because they talked about how bad things were. And I guess I never had that appearance of any of it. You that know, impression? I, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was a good life. Yeah. So, you know, and that's kind of what provoked me to do this, you know, is how a person approaches life and how they look at it. Yeah. I, um, Perspective is everything. Yeah. And, I, you know, even today, you know, my my son and my grandson hunt in the same area, deer hunt. Um, around those same families, and the the uh, when they go up there by themselves, and I'm not with the relatives, you know, that are in their 80s are talking to them, and they're telling them how bad our family had it, you know. Yeah. And of course, these were big, you know, farmers, and they had a lot of land and a lot yeah. of animals, and and they they tell my kids how bad we had it, and I said. You know, it's funny because I've never heard you say that yourself, like as your kid. I mean, it, it's that's that would be jarring to hear, I think, because in what I hear you talk about it is how good it was and like the piles mm -hmm. of hamburgers, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah that was. Uh, we like food around here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't, you know, I, I know we weren't rich. I knew that much. Yeah. But 
I I guess I just had an appreciation for what we did have. You yeah. Know? I remember getting off a school bus and, you know, couldn't wait to get to the house. And my mother had this oblong uh, platter. And uh, it was later in life when I started watching Popeye the Sailor on yeah. TV. And that character on that program, he had big platters of burgers in front of him. Oh, yeah. Bruno? And I thought, was that, was, that was our house. <laughs> the, other, the other character on Popeye? Yeah. Bruno? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that was my vision of getting off the bus and going to the house. Or, you know, if my mother made um, beef stew or chili or whatever, yeah, she'd have big kettles of hot food when you can get off that bus. And, you mm-hmm. know, and I never, I never viewed us as starving, <laughs> ever, no. you know. And uh, my dad, one of his jobs was working at a dairy, and he brought home freshest cheese that ever one of me squeaky eat, you know? squeaky cheese oh yeah. yeah and you know we'd have um you'd take that freshly made cheese and my mother would have homemade break baked bread and you know you'd come out of the oven hot and then you'd stick a whole pat of butter in there and and oh, yeah. a couple of slices of that fresh cheese and that was a perfect meal and yeah, I think everybody in France would agree. It's funny. It's so funny to me that people would view that as like not like the like I don't know the epitome of the what do they call it the the simple pleasures in life. You yeah, know, yeah, because that like most of Europe that that is a meal like mm-hmm. fresh cheese and warm baguette with butter. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. If I if we hadn't just eaten, I'd be hungry. <laughs> With you talking like that. But uh, you know, I mean, I was well aware, of, you know, somewhat rough times that you know my parents must have been going through. Mm-hmm. But they never, really, never let it affect the children at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I remember, you know, I was still pretty young when my dad came up with money to buy three bicycles for. Me and my two older brothers, mm-hmm. and they were brand brand new Schwins, and you know it was a, just outstanding, you know. Yeah. But you know, they they lived very menial themselves. You guys were very like free range kids. Like you didn't have the way that you talk. You had a lot of freedom to like explore the world. Um. As kids, I mean, we might have caused some stress in my mother's life. <laughs> May have, yeah. You know, like one one time, the uh, neighbors we didn't even have a telephone, you know. Yeah. So somebody seen us, and this was like seven or eight miles from where we lived. Yeah. Over on a <clears throat> another area where they had dug gravel pits. Yeah. Well, in one of them, they dug down so far they hit water, mm-hmm. and it filled up. So they quit digging there. But we rode our bikes over there, and we were very aware of what we were doing. We took a big, long rope with us, and there was a boulder on the edge of the gravel pit. Yeah. And once you jumped in, there was no way to get out. So we... (laughs) That sounds terrifying. (laughs) Well, you know, we didn't think about it that way. Yeah. So... We would jump in and swim and swim, and then we want to get out. We'd go get a hold of that rope and walk the wall and get out. And uh, somebody told my mother about it. Oh, so like it was a swimming hole for us? Yeah. 
Yes. It, was a, it was a hole with water in it for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, a deep mm-hmm. one. <laughs> so we, we, you know, we were having a good time, and then she had to get another neighbor to drive her over there. <laughs> yeah. Help us get home <clears throat> because she was quite upset about it. Help you by the hair? <laughs> well, yeah. somewhat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I would see there, I was fortunate there because they had two older than me. They were at fault. <laughs> yeah, they drug you along. Yes. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then there was another time I took my younger brother and my younger sister, and it was in the winter time, and mm-hmm. I uh, drug out all the fishing equipment for ice fishing. Yeah. And if people are listening to this and you live only in warm weather, that's a very interesting and exciting thing here in Wisconsin to go ice fishing. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I, I I was maybe about 10 years old or 11. So my younger brother and sister, they were quite small. But we cut cross country, and it was about a half a mile through the woods to get to this lake. Yeah. And we come in on what they call the backside of the lake where there was no boat landing. Mm-hmm. And we walked across the lake almost, you know, three-quarters of the way across. And I, I knew where I was going because of fishing with my dad. There was a sandbar in there. Yeah. And the water was only eight feet deep at the sandbar. Otherwise, oh. most of it was 40, <laughs> 50 foot deep. Yeah, only eight feet deep. <laughs> oh, man. So we, we were the first ice fisher of people to be out that year. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because there was about a quarter inch of ice and oh uh, it, it was crystal clear. And if we got close to each other, we could feel it sagging. So we stayed about 10 feet apart. Yeah. So we got out to the sandbar, and, you know, the ice was so thin, we didn't need a chisel or anything. I'd just drive my heel in it and knock a hole. And That is so... Don't do that. <laughs> that <laughs> no. is so dangerous. Well, we are just talking Whoever's about... Whoever's listening, don't do that. <laughs> we are just talking about the stress I may have put on uh, our mother. Yeah. So, you know, we were fishing, and my dad happened to come home yeah. and seen the fishing equipment dug out. Mm. So he took the car, and it was like five miles to get to where we were at going around the roads. Yeah, you cut across country, but... Exactly. Yeah. So... He drove around to the boat landing, and then there was a point that went out into the lake, a little ridge, and there was trees on it. And he went out on that ridge, and it sounded like thunder. Oh. Get your blankety blank off that lake. Yeah. And he couldn't go on it because he was an adult. He would have fell through. Right. So he had to impatiently wait yeah. for us to get all the way back to the boat landing. And... Uh, it was a kind of serious moment with him. Yeah, I and, bet. Yeah. But, you know, we we had our own entertainment we'd come up with. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, and that's the type of thing I wanted to broad, broadcast for, you know, to talk about, you know, everybody has different experiences in life and where they grew up and how they grew up. And yeah. You, we found our own entertainment, you know. We, in that house, we had electricity. We, we still never had no plumbing. Yeah. So... We did have lights in that, and uh, my family was still living there when I uh, joined the military and left. Wow! And it was while well, I was gone, and that would have been in uh, 1968 that I joined. Yeah. And, and the I, army. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I joined for three years and left while I was gone, and uh, my 
my parents ended up in a severe car accident. Mm-hmm. It was really bad, and they were. Uh, there was a railroad crossing in one of the main highways that went between Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, and Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And they were driving. My dad and mother were coming back, and my dad and mother were pretty heavy drinkers. You didn't grow up in a Christian household. No, no, no. no. About the farthest thing from that. Let me put it this way: when holidays came around, yeah, the only thing I knew about them was that a party started somewhere around five days before Christmas, mm. and it never ended until into New Year. Yikes. There was no church involvement, no, no speaking of Christ, nothing mm. like that. And that's the type of family I was raised with. At one point, when we got a, a little bit older, they did take me and my brother, because we we're pretty close in age, and they hauled us several miles from where we lived to a little Lutheran church. Mm-hmm in the town of Eagleton, and they'd drop us off at the end of the driveway so we could go into classes. They wanted us to get confirmed. And uh, it wasn't a, you know, because I was, I was not a well-behaved child. That's right. the way to put it. But it wasn't outlandish or outrageous for you. I mean, you were in, when your parents got in that accident, you were in the military, you were gone from home. So it wasn't surprising to you that they would have have been like drinking or whatever and on their way back home. No, no. I mean, they were heavy drinkers when I left and they still were when I got home. Yeah. But that particular accident, they, they hit the side of an engine of a train and, uh, it was, it was a terrible, terrible accident. The car was, the motor of it was basically in the front seat of the car. And wow. my mother took it quite a beating. She went through the windshield and also the shroud over the top of the heater in the car came apart and it severed her leg, her left leg to the point there was only about two inches of flesh holding it on. And uh, she got many scars on her face from going through the windshield. Wow. My dad hit the impact of the the train. He tried to pull the car to his side because mm. it was too late to stop, too late to go do anything. He just whipped the wheel trying to take most of the impact. When I went out and found that car to get their belongings out of it, because I got flew home from uh, Augsburg, Germany, when I went out to get the car, the belongings out, the steering column was impressed into the dash. The steering wheel was broken off, mm. and his body did all that. And when I seen him in the hospital, he had one rib that wasn't broken. And all the rest of them were broken. Two of them were punctured in his liver. Wow. And that's how serious it was. Which, by the way, broken ribs are super painful, and there's, like, nothing you can do about them. Right. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. But then when we were standing there looking at him in the hospital and trying to talk to him, you know, mm-hmm. he would try to be funny, trying oh. to, you know, not have us yeah. worried and scared. Mm-hmm. But he also smoked camel cigarettes from the time he was a little kid. Yeah. And now he's on oxygen in a hospital bed and he would try to crack jokes and then he'd start laughing. And his mm. whole body had wobbled because there was no ribs. <laughs> and, you know, we'd tell him, don't try to make us laugh. No. <laughs> you know, but you know, by the time I left to go back to uh, Europe, he was discharged. From he the hospital? Yeah, he wouldn't yeah. stay in. Wow. 
And uh, he went home, took care of those things <laughs> with all but that. But your mother was still in the hospital. Yeah, it yeah. took a long time for her to get out. Mm-hmm. But wow. then I uh, ended up flying back. But, I, you know, I'm going to back up and say that when I was in Germany, uh, because you asked the question, you know, I wasn't raised as a Christian or nothing. Right. And that's true. So when I was in Germany, I was in this barracks, and there was a knock on the door, and I opened it up, and two people from the Red Cross. And they asked me my name, and I told them. And, and they said, uh, we're going to get you home immediately. And I mm-hmm. said, what's going on? And they told me my parents were in a terrible car accident. And they said, we got to get you out of here immediately. And they turned and walked down the steps and wait for me. And one of them looked back over his shoulder and he said, by the way, don't expect to see him alive. And, you know, when I reflect back on that whole episode, I think about it often because of how that was handled. And I thought it was kind of weird that guy even did that. But then mm-hmm. what I think about in hindsight was how terrifying it was for me because I th- it leaves you helpless. Right. And I say that because if you don't know God, mm-hmm. there's nothing to turn to. You don't, right. You can't pray because you don't have no God to pray to. You can't get any peace. Not at all. None. Yeah. So all the way back, and I had a brother that was shipped over there too, and he was in Berlin. Mm-hmm. I was in Augsburg, and he got to Frankfurt before me, so he skipped the flight so that we could fly together. So That, that provides little comfort. Yeah. But at least you weren't alone. Because that has to be like the longest trip of your life. It's a long ways. A long way. And especially when you don't know what you're going to find on the other end. Right. And, uh, you know, now, years and years later, you know, mm-hmm. now that I am a Christian, now that I know God, I reflect back to that. And I think how many other people are out there in that situation now Yeah. where catastrophe happens and they don't know what to do right they don't have a god to turn to because mm-hmm. they don't know, know him and i've had a lot of situations now in life that have come up that you know sooner or later we'll talk about but now i know what to do with them right where back then you're you're you actually stand hopeless yeah you know you just don't know what you're going to walk into and you, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. So that was one of the most terrifying experiences, you know, was running into a situation like that. Yeah. Looking back, what do you wish you had known at that time? What do you What do you wish? Like when you were faced with that type of a situation, what do you wish you could have done instead? I I would like to encourage anybody to get to the place I'm at before something like that happens. Right. Because if you do not know God and you have no idea who he is, there are specifics in how to pray. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that. So now, I, you know, I, I would wish that everybody could come to the place they know him before those type of things happen. Yeah. You know, and not only that you're hopeless in those situations, if you don't know God, you don't know how to call on him. Mm-hmm. If you did know him, you need to know that too. Yeah. And, uh, I would say this in closing, that I was reading a book one time and I was sitting in a truck mm-hmm. and I was had the door open and I was turned sideways in the seat and I was reading it and somebody walked up to me and looked up at the book and the title of it was 
prayers that avail much. And he laughed. And he said, don't all prayers avail something? And I hesitated. And and then I said, no, not really. They don't. Because it depends on who you're praying to. Right. That's true. And if you don't know that God that can answer prayer, they don't avail anything. And then the Bible tells us how to pray. Well, it also says the fervent prayers of a righteous man. Exactly. Availeth much. That's one thing about the Bible, you know, I mean, I don't say this with any condemnation to, toward anybody or anything like that. But I learned that there's basically two prayers that get answered. The mom, prayer just, mom just mouthed at me. The effectual prayers of a righteous, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Exactly. <laughs> she's, she's like stage mom over here. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, the other thing is a person that wants to find God. Yeah. He always hears the cry of a repentant person, mm -hmm. repenting of their sins. God hears them all. Yeah. So those two prayers are the main ones. Ending the broadcast for today, I would say stay tuned mm -hmm. because I want you to learn a lot. We all need the same God. We all need the same answers. And uh, we're going to try to help everybody get it.